We need 20 bucks. We need 20 bucks. We need 20 bucks. Can you give us 20 bucks? We need 20 bucks. 20 bucks a day to run the station. Go to forwardradio.org. 20 bucks! Welcome to Critical Thinking for Everyone! Hello, everybody out there. We are coming back at you with a brand new show and um, almost at a brand new month. But, and but same old pandemic. Same old pandemic, although, you know, it's changing a little bit. And that's partly yeah. what, that's four the main variants. focus today. Woo, four variants. Yeah. So I'm I'm Patty Payette. I'm Brian Barnes. I'm counting the variants. Yeah, and he is. And every week we put together a little juicy show called Critical Thinking for Everyone. And sometimes we even bring guests on the show. That's right. That's right. But before we introduce our guests, we really have to introduce our channel. So I'm going to let you do that. I'll do it. This is Forward Radio. You might be listening on 106.5 FM. If so, that is WFMPLP. Forwardradio.org is where you would get more information and our schedule. You can also live stream there uh, if you can't get us on the radio. You can find Critical Thinking for Everyone back episodes, 140-some-odd back episodes on SoundCloud. And... You could find us on iTunes if you looked for Forward Radio Channel in iTunes. That would be the spot. And of course, if you want to reach out to Patty or to me or to any of our guests, you should reach out to us through Critical Thinking for Everyone on Facebook. And if they're not on Facebook, what are they going to do, Brian? Get on Facebook. (laughs) Which reminds me of a hilarious thing like, Several years ago, my husband took my son to a, a sports practice and he showed up and they said, they said, hey, we canceled practice today. It was on Facebook. And my husband says, I don't have Facebook. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Proving I'm sure hilarity, ensued. hilarity ensued. I explained to him, honey, everybody has Facebook, but you well, choose you choose not to take advantage of your little corner of Facebook. Iconoclastic, that guy. <laughs> well, right. If you if you don't re, if you don't have Facebook, you can always get us through Forward Radio. Go to forward.radio.org. Leave a message anywhere you can, and just yeah. say, "I want Patty and Brian to reach out to me," and that'll do it. That'll do it. Okay. Well, we are so excited to welcome back a colleague who we've had on the show before. And he puts up with our peppering of him with many questions very well. We've already warned him. We've already warned him. And uh, I just want to welcome back to the show, David Johnson. Dr. David Johnson from the School of Public Health and Information Sciences. Welcome, David. Thank you all for having me back. Hooray! We're so glad you joined us again. We are. Now, before we get into all of our many questions about the pandemic and the vaccines and- You're scaring the man, stop. What? You're scaring the man, jeez. I'm sorry, he's probably used to it though. (laughs) Probably, he'll be okay. Um, We need to talk a little bit about your role and your expertise so people have context. And you've got a lot of letters next to your name, David. Yeah, 
So all those credentials are all related to public health. So I, um, you know, first got a master's in public health um, in 2010, uh, went back for um, a PhD in that same department, health management and system sciences, which I'm um, assistant professor there uh, now today. In between there, um, I uh, sat for the uh, national exam with the National Board of Public Health Examiners to uh, get certified in public health. So all wow. of my there. Yeah. Okay. Wow. So you love public health. You cannot get enough. I do. Um, <clears throat> you know, I, I kind of live and breathe this stuff. And um, my, my favorite thing to do in public health, though, is, is to teach. And I, you know, kind of learn um, along the way that I, you know, love public health and I love doing the work and I believe in the mission, but I will have more impact in um, doing the work of public health to assure population health um, by teaching, by educating um, the next generation of public health professionals than I ever would um, by myself doing I that. I love that. That is brilliant. So, uh -huh. um, yeah, so it's, uh, it, it's, it's pretty rewarding, um, you know, in, in my role at the School of Public Health. Um, I, I teach primarily, but um, I also have some research interests um, in, in efforts that we can talk about today as well. And, um, yeah, happy to, uh, happy to talk to you guys again. Great, great. Um, yeah, that's, I, I do have a question, though, because... You know, Brian and I live in the ivory tower, just like you do. Mm -hmm. um, so here's my question. The name of your department is health management and systems sciences. Okay, so I'm going to make a guess as to what I think that is. Health, no, health management and systems sciences. So I think that is looking at how health structures work or don't work. And like the management and systems, I'm 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 like getting a little. Is that like hospitals and and or is that like a bigger macro view? Like what does that mean exactly? What am I looking at? No, you're you're yes and yes. So um, <laughs> you're looking at management and administration. So kind of the science and art of you know managing people. Um, so all of the the, the practices and discipline um, related to management and administration, organization theory, um, leading uh -huh. people um, is, is all part of um, kind of what our department does. We do um, have a, a strong healthcare focus, um, but we also um, do focus on, on public health and management and administration in a public health setting uh, in addition to healthcare. Um, but wow. but you're spot on. The systems piece is, is actually my favorite, and kind of thinking about all of those entities um, within um, the the kind of larger system of health that encompasses both healthcare and public health, uh, and who are the stakeholders? How are they working together or not? What are the relationships? And really understanding from that systems perspective more than you would. Um, by looking at any of the um, constituent components. Okay. Wow. I'm always so interested in people's subspecialties in in their fields. Very people centric. It can be uh, people people in the organizations they work for. 
Okay, interesting, interesting. I, I always find people's subspecialties in, in academia very interesting. So, um, okay, so I need to remind you where you and I were almost a year ago. Do you remember what I'm thinking about? I was, I was it, just thinking before, um, you know, we hopped on. Was it, was it like April of last year? No, it was, um, I have the actual date because it was on the meeting agenda, March 11th. March 11th. Wow. And you came, so that's almost exactly a year ago, and you came to a meeting because we were planning for the teaching program that you're in this year. Right. And the, the, the facts, the pandemic was swirling and starting to really like become, do you, what do you remember from that conversation on March 11th? Um, I remember, you know, sitting around at a table. It's like one of the last times I was surrounded <laughs> by humans other than my family. Um, <clears throat> we were talking about, you know, working with students and planning for the future and all of these things. Um, and, and I think we, we were talking a little bit about COVID and kind of what I thought uh, and what to expect. And I, I do kind of remember hedging a little bit at that time, like so many of us didn't fully understand what the ramifications were going to be. Um, but, you know, I, I started to, you know, hear about, you know, COVID-19 myself, like early in 2020, um, maybe, maybe late December 2019, but certainly about January 2020. Um, and then um, it, it just escalated very quickly. And so by, by the last time we were sitting around a table together, um, I, I think there was a lot of real concern at that point. Yeah, and I remember saying something to you like, David, are you getting a lot of questions about COVID-19? I don't even think we were using the word pandemic. No, we were not. Mm -hmm. The word pandemic was not in our vocabulary. I remember that because I just remember I was asking you about like in, if you were getting lots of questions and you said yes. And I remember asking you a few personal questions about that I things that I was wondering about. And you were hedging, but you were definitely trying to make sure you could give people somewhat of an answer. But isn't that crazy to think that was a year ago? A year ago, yeah. You know, and, and I was actually thinking about the date the last time I was on this show. Um, you know, when was so, that? Do you remember uh, when that was? I thought, I thought that was like in April or so. Yeah, that sounds we right. Were, we, we were already remote at that point. And, um, and, and so we were kind of thinking, can we work on campus? Is that safe? What does you know traveling and moving around look like? Um, and uh, yeah, but 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 to your point, yeah, th this has been an incredible opportunity for you know all public health professionals to um, kind of offer that expertise. But but at the same time, it's been quite frankly exhausting. Um, yeah feeling kind of the professional responsibility to keep up with all of this changing information and be uh, a credible source of information for the 
myriad of questions that you know people are inevitably going to ask you. Um, I remember early on, um, you know, I was, uh, you know, asked questions from local organizations like, how should we operate? What do you think, you know, would be best protocols, you know, based upon what we're experiencing? And you know, <laughs> so how do you how do you answer things like that? Um, but anyway, yeah, no, it's 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 been really, really interesting time. Let me ask a question uh, with regard to the others that you've been alluding to a little bit here, David. Um, and you're just to be clear, you're an academic as well as a public health, um, as well as a public health person on the ground. Practitioner, right? right? Well, I just want to. I don't. I don't want to put him in a box too much for this next question. Give Give the public health responses a grade, and you can divide them any way you want. But give. Let's get some grades in here. All right. Um, public health response uh, grades. You know, to do that, I'm going to say. Um, federal, uh, so national, uh, state, and local level. Um, and then I'm going to kind of eke in um, like the academic public health response. Okay. So, so I'll give you four cool. grades. Cool. Um, I would say, you know, and, and we're all, uh, a lot of us are, are kind of tuned in on, you know, kind of what's happening in Kentucky. So I'll, I'll frame it that way. Um, I, I think at the national level, you know, certainly um, the last year, um, you you can't give it higher than like a D, D minus. Really? Um, yeah. And it, it you know, really um, a lot of kind of I think what we're experiencing has been the um, byproduct of a lack of a uh, conservative you know, homogenous effort um, at the the national level to kind of coordinate a national strategy. Um, that has really left uh, states uh, to fend for themselves. Um, and, you know, and I think that what we're recognizing with something like a pandemic is that it's not good enough uh, for some states to be doing a good job and others to be doing terribly because we're connected, um, you know, so intrinsically, right? Um, yep. And so, you know, at the state level, <clears throat> I really have to say um, I, am, I am a proud Kentuckian uh, <laughs> and, right. and public health professional. All right. Um, I have been, you know, one of the courses I was teaching last spring was um, funny public health practice. And as we got disrupted and trying to, you know, talk to my students about, you know, what does it look and feel like to be a public health practitioner? You know, you know, watch the governor's daily press briefing. Sure. Um, because that is um, really, really good leadership um, on display. Um, you, I think. You, I'm sorry, just, but would you, are you commenting specifically on, um, Dr. Stack, is that his name? The the yeah. lead guy or yeah. is the governor? Well, Steve Stack uh, is is a great 
uh, person to be kind of heading up this state level effort. Okay. Um, he's he oversees the cabinet for health and family services. Um, great person, um, but to to the governor's credit, has been listening um, to the experts around him um, and kind of crafting his message, crafting his approach um, based upon um, expert opinion and the the best evidence we have available to us which has changed um sure. you know on an ongoing basis and so um i would certainly say um you know the the, the pandemic uh response at the state level is i don't know a minus good uh, that's great you know, and um you know maybe maybe not quite as high because you know, um, the vaccine rollout, I think, has tried to be, you know, fair and equitable. Um, but that desire to be fair and equitable has um, created um, a little bit of inefficiencies. Oh. Uh, aside from the supply issues and, you know, again, those those national issues that we that we had as well. Um, I think at the, the local level, um, you know, uh, Dr. Sarah Moyer is is a, a colleague of mine. I think her messaging has been, you know, really good as well. Um, now, I think she that needs to establish. She's the Louisville. What's sorry. her title? Um, she is. So it's funny. Her title actually changed recently. She was the director for um, Louisville Metro Department of Public Health and Wellness, but now she's actually shifted to the city's chief health officer. Okay. Um, and so, um, right. little bit, uh, or chief health strategist. That's okay. the, that's the title. Okay. Yeah. Um, and so she still oversees the the health department, and to a large degree, um, the the efforts have have been pretty good. Um, you know, obviously, you know, in 2020, we were dealing with, um, you know, city level protests. You know, calls for social, you know, racial justice. Um, which certainly created some complexity um, around dealing with the pandemic. Um, but I think all in all, um, the messaging that's been coming out of the health department has has been um, really good. Mm -hmm. um, and and so, you know, I will say, oh, sorry, go ahead. No, I said great. Oh, and, you know, and I will say, the, you know, just as kind of a bonus, academic public health, you know, I really do feel like um, because of the the sheer lack of leadership um, at the national level, which really tied the hands of a lot of federal agencies in 2020, mm. I think that you saw academic public health step up and fill a void um, that they would not have otherwise um, had those responsibilities. Um, but I think that, you know, you can see that um, not not as much, you know, here in Louisville and, and in Kentucky because because of the pretty good job locally, uh, but in other states, um, other schools and programs of public health have really, um, you know, assisted, um, you know, those those local and state efforts. Um, our School of Public Health and Information Sciences, to our credit, however, um, have you know partnered with the health department, um, done a lot of really important research early on, 
um, looking at COVID modeling and uh, disease wow. trends. Wow. Um, and those things helped inform policy at the, the local and state level. Mm. Um, and so um, now the, the most recent research that's, that's coming out is um, looking at um, uh, you know, distancing and mask wearing habits. And you know, what does our population look like um, in terms of those prevention strategies? L locally, you mean locally? Mm -hmm. Locally. Okay, so interesting. Um, all right, I have a question. Yeah. I'll have to arm wrestle Brian uh, to see who gets to ask each question. Oh, that's okay. You uh, can go ahead until you until you run out. We only have nine hours. <laughs> so, David, um, right before Christmas, an article came out. I read about it on NPR, and Brian and I talked about it at a show about new about new research around COVID infecting surfaces, and what the article said was that the original recommendations about disinfecting surfaces that emerged last spring uh, came from studies that were done in controlled environments so that me thinking about how contaminated is this restaurant table is going to be a very different question than if I'm in a lab with you doing a study about the virus and longevity on a table in a lab setting. And so one of the upshots of the research was that, and, and I'm paraphrasing, so you tell me if, if this is accurate, that as I'm thinking about my personal safety and I'm thinking about upholding public health standards during a pandemic and specifically with COVID, I really need to be vigilant about masking and airborne aerosols, the risk to me of getting COVID through airborne aerosols versus surface, picking up on a surface. Now that doesn't mean I ignore the chance I might get in the surface, but there's a lesser chance I'm gonna get it that way than inhaling it in the environment. So, so, that I have a, so that's one thing I wanna check on the accuracy. And my, here's my follow-up question. The study also said disinfecting all the surfaces so rigorously actually can create a, a, a negative effect because I'm inhaling all of these chemicals. So they actually said there, there's actually a downside to over, overly, and you know, and I'm thinking of all those businesses that invested in like spraying down surfaces and all those time that people are doing that, employees, and so, Ever since then, I haven't changed my behavior so much, but I'm much more vigilant to making sure that I'm masking than, so So help me out here. Am I, what's going on? Should I be thinking this way or not? No, um, you know, and I think that that's evidence of <clears throat> kind of the, the changing evidence um, in, in us knowing more about the disease, about transmission, about you know, prevention methodology and efficacy um, than, than we know, you know, back then. And so, you know, in terms of the surfaces in the lab versus, you know, in real world, um, yeah, you know, it, it's really hard to kind of replicate um, all of those things that 
Um, you know, so when you hear things like, oh, it could survive on the surface for X number of days in a perfect condition, you know, in laboratory settings, right? Um, and so um, what we know now is that um, COVID does, um, you know, uh, transmit by aerosols, um, just like you said. And so the number one way that, that we can prevent um, our own aerosols from, you know, escaping in the environment is to mask ourselves. Um, and then when everybody's masked, then, you know, it reduces the aerosols overall. And so it's not to say that you don't have to worry about uh, surfaces. Um, by all means, um, you know, use hand sanitizer, you know, after you have, um, you know, touched a bunch of doorknobs uh, or even before you touch a bunch of doorknobs because then you're protecting others. Um, but in terms of, um, you know, what is most effective, you know, it's wearing a mask, it's limiting your contacts, uh, staying away from people. Um, and the, those are the things that we've um, found to be most effective. Okay. I will also say like yeah. that article, and I'm not sure that this article was the one that you found, but um, there's a phrase that's been coined and that is um, hygiene theater. And so this process by which people are wiping down surfaces and, you know, uh -huh. kind of going through the motion and buying those sprays and making it seem like you know, someplace is safer than it actually is um, because uh, just the the act of doing those things seems like it's more effective when we know that the most effective things are limiting aerosols and then limiting exposure. Wow. So also, interesting. Doing the, go ahead. Follow-up question. You said limiting contacts. Okay. So I'm, as a critical thinker, going to say, okay, David, if I'm wearing a mask around my contacts, why do I have to limit them? So when I say limit, and thank you for the opportunity to clarify, um, you need to maintain some distance between each other. Um, if you're thinking about, um, you know, the best way to um, interact with those around you, um, it's it's going to be masked. It's going you know outside of those in your your immediate household. Right. Masked um, with some distance, six feet or more um, between you. Maybe outside um, because indoor um, you know uh, conditions is very very different than outdoor. Um, and uh, you know the idea behind limiting your contacts is that when we interact with as few people as possible, you break the chain of potential exposure. Mm. Um, and when we we have fewer contacts, it, it significantly reduces the, the risk um, that one of those um, might have COVID. And then, oh. um, you know, because again, there's, there's a lot of asymptomatic spread um, people are, you know, oftentimes most infectious when they're asymptomatic or barely symptomatic. Um, and so we, we just don't know. Um, and so the way that you can protect yourself and, and others is, is by limiting, um, those exposures like that. Okay. That's helpful. 
That's helpful. And I have a question about masks, but I'm going to let Brian give him a chance to ask a question. I'd just like to know, David, when you think about critical thinking and the pandemic, what tools spring to mind, like either for public health practitioners or for lay people trying to figure out like all the things you got to figure out? Any critical thinking tools you'd like to point to and just tell the folks about briefly? So, you know, and, and I was actually thinking about this before, um, you know, today, and, and I've, I've got a follow-up question I, I want to ask you all. That's why we have you on the show, by the way. Thank you. So, um, <laughs> but, you know, I think um, systems thinking, um, you know, thinking about um, whole systems of organizations and people and, and interactions and, and better understanding the relationships between them um, is is a way that we can better understand, you know, disease transmission. It's a way we can better understand a prevention methodology, like I just described, um, and, and and so many other things. Um, you know, I really do feel like this pandemic has kind of, um, you know, torn the wool off of our eyes and kind of thinking that you know, we are not all interconnected um, in this larger, you know, social context. Um, and what does that mean? So, oh, that, you know, we, well, that we interact um, with, with more people around us um, than I think we've ever fully appreciated. Oh, yeah. You know, that, you yeah. know, we, we go to a grocery store and the hundred people that are in there at the same time are now, you know, contacts that we have made in the day, whether we interact with them or not. Great point. Um, and Great point. so I think that, you know, to that extent, we, we have a better appreciation of just how much interaction we have with others um you know when when things are a little more normal than they are now thank you um so, well what's the question oh i'm sorry yeah go ahead yeah yeah you, you had a question what was that yeah you had a question for us you so you're both educators and i am thinking a lot about critical thinking and I, i'm thinking a lot about my own experience in the last year of of teaching um, and working with students who are all going through um, a, a really, really difficult time. Um, and so I just want to ask you all, as kind of certified critical thinkers, how have you approached critical thinking or trying to develop critical thinking in your students in the midst of Kind of the crisis of the pandemic so i can speak to that if i uh, for you brian so i the, the thing i immediately thought of david was in in the last especially the first six months of the year or the of the pandemic i experienced a lot people having a lot of fear a heightened fear, not just anxiety, but fear, 
right? Like I can't go to a restaurant or I, I can't go into my office. I, I remember talking to somebody who said, um, and a colleague in another department who said, I literally have hardly left my house in the last six months, right? And I, I would I say I've experienced some fear? Sure. However, I noticed I wasn't as fearful as other people expressed it. Like I was noticing on the scale of like confidence to like fear and I can't leave my house. Like I wasn't experiencing that. And I thought about, okay, what's different? And here's what I realized. I was having a conversation with my mom very early on and she talked about, I can get COVID three ways my eyes, my nose, or my mouth. Those are the only ways I can I can get COVID. Now, whether or not that's exactly accurate, right? That's, that's a general, right? I can inhale it. I can touch my face, right? I can put it right. So going somewhere and making sure I'm protecting my eyes, my nose, and my face is going to lower my risk, therefore lower my fear factor. So in other words, what I did was when she said that, I started thinking about my own critical, like critical thinking is like, like rational thinking. Like I can't just get it magically. It's not going to jump into my body magically by going into a crowded space. There are things that need to have to, that might happen that I would get it. And so I say that because what that did is over the, when things started opening up, it gave me a, like a framework to hold on to. If I'm paying attention to these things on my body, I am very unlikely to get COVID. Doesn't mean I wouldn't get it, but I am very unlikely to, I'm lowering my risk. Right. So then when I started going back to work and started interacting with other people who had really heightened fear and really like wiping down pieces of paper and things like that, that I wasn't doing, I wasn't judging, I wasn't saying, what are you doing? But I recognized, I felt more grounded about my decision-making personally, because I could use critical thinking to say, what are the, what's my risk? What are my behaviors that really put me at risk? As opposed to just being afraid writ large. Does that make sense? It's, that's perfect. Yeah, um, <clears throat> yeah, absolutely. No, that's, that's a, uh... A really good way to, you know, parse a lot of uncertainty um, and and fear, um, like you said, uh, into kind of tangible, actionable, um, rational, you know, ideas, right? Yeah, good. Well, thank you. I'm glad to hear you say that because there were times where I was like, okay, am I fooling myself right here? Like, what am I, you know? But I haven't gotten COVID. Knock on wood. I haven't gotten COVID. Although I told Brian, there's got to be, David, you tell me if there's some condition where you, you sneeze and then you assume you have COVID. Like this has happened to me like last Friday night. Brian knows this because I was texting him and I was like, I, I was a little congested this morning, but now I'm fine. But now it's eight o'clock and I'm really tired. I think I have COVID. Mm -hmm. Like, like I just, so I went and got a test the next day and I got there. So I don't have COVID, but I like, I convinced myself that, oh my God, I might have COVID. Right. So I don't know, maybe I need to use critical thinking. Maybe I need to use critical <laughs> thinking on that end. Do give it some thought. Yeah, so anyway, so thank you for saying that because I feel 
that makes me feel good that I, I was able to kind of focus on what I can control and not just get crazy, crazy afraid of everything, doing anything, right? Paralyzed, you know? Right. Brian, what, uh, what about you? Uh, in terms of trying to spread and, and, and uh, build up critical thinking in, you know, students and others in the midst of, you know, crisis and pandemic. Yeah, the first thing um, was just to talk about it all the time. Um, I really wanted to make it a topic that people felt comfortable discussing. I wanted people to ask questions. Um, I also felt like it was really important that I kept up in the first several days and that I had some weeks, I guess, for several weeks that I had, I had the answers that I felt were defensible, especially as the whole thing started getting cloudier and cloudier uh, with that um, that D grade that you discussed earlier. Um, it I needed to know what the symptoms actually were, you know, um, as opposed to what they you know, what the experts were saying were not. And who are the experts? I mean, I was going with, you know, CDC, um, you know, that kind of thing. And I know that um, we have fine local, you know, folks and all that. But it just at the time, I, I was just I was trying to grab something that I thought, again, completely justifiable. That was my hope that the, the leadership from the top would, would have that. And I'm glad that, you know, Fauci was there and all that. Um. So I was trying to have those conversations and be able to answer basic questions like people were asking me very early on about uh, composting and COVID. Right. And so I went out to the um, to the WHO and they actually had some composting guidance, um, Wow, which was great awesome. because, yeah, I was super surprised. But um, this was maybe in April or something where they were, you know, because a lot of people were asking, can you compost? New York shut down its composting operations, for example, um, and as a result of COVID fear. And so a lot of universities and um, backyard activists were coming, you know, just to me and my team and just asking that. And so I thought, well, you know, we need to get the guidance. So it was nice to see that, um, you know, you get the temperature high enough, kills the virus. You know, that's great. So so just trying to have that information, um, whatever relevant areas were. And also, I I just reminded myself, I, I think I'm usually pretty good at this, but I just reminded myself not to make anything up. You know, not just if, if I didn't know, just to say, I really don't know, instead of going, well, it could be this, could be this, could be, this, you know, I don't, the point is, I may, I'm giving you all these options because I don't know, right? So, so I tried to um, I tried to come straight out with that as much as possible. And the last thing that I did was um, immediately I started trying to make whatever I was teaching uh, relevant. I was trying to get a connection. So, for example, I re I, I reassigned uh, some things like what we were going to read this one you know, novel in an introduction to philosophy class, for example, and I changed it so that we would read. Uh, Camus plague, right? Which I, which I love in the first place, but also is an actual sort of quasi historical rendition of this um, sort of thing we were all starting on. And so for the students, it was like, whoa. And so immediately there was a lot of connection that they could make. And, you know, in business ethics, we're talking about, you know, who's making money off PPE. We're talking about, gee, does it, does it matter to anybody that it's all made of plastic? You know, uh, <laughs> critical thinking exactly. classes we're starting to get into stuff so i mean just in terms you know just in terms of trying 
to talk about it, normalize it, make it part of my content. I mean, I was really gratified that several students in that one class put on the comments at the end of the semester, you know, that they thought it was really great that I changed the um, the reading so that it was more relevant than whatever we you know had in mind before. And I mean, I, I felt like that was that was worthwhile. And you know what? If it would have been if it would have been flat, if I hadn't known the novel well or whatever and assigned it anyway and just ended up kind of screwing it up, still would have been fine. I still would have been fine about the response. You know, you can't hit them all out of the park. No. But that's what I was trying to do is have, have have some relevance, have some places where people could put their hooks in and start thinking about this thing for themselves with the tools that I was trying to give them generally. So. Yeah, I think I think making it relevant and um, expressing some of that like intellectual humility, right? Oh, yeah. um, sure. and, and I know that, you know, uh, as as a public health professional and practitioner, I was certainly humbled at times where it's like, I don't have the answers. Right. I, I wish I could tell you how <laughs> to safely- I can't believe I don't, but I don't. <laughs> <laughs> I wish I could tell you how to safely operate your business um, amidst a pandemic, but um, I, I think we're all just trying <laughs> to figure this out together. We'll be ready next uh, week. But you know, one of the, one of the things that I, I think I've recognized through this um, in, in your comment about not hitting it, them all out of the park is, is really apt. And that is, I, I just have kind of struggled at times um, teaching, teaching critical thinking, you know, what have you, when, when I know that like from a Maslow's hierarchy of needs perspective, when their safety and security, you know, is, is not being met, yeah. um, then it's really, hard to do anything higher ordered. Um, and, and so, you know, I, again, like have approached like working with students in this environment kind of in that way, um, but quite surprised um, at times by the resilience um, that I see, by um, the, the growth um, that I think we, we are, seeing in, in, in ourselves and in others, um, you know, this, this crisis is really, you know, kind of pushing us, um, hopefully in some, some positive directions. Yeah. Yeah. Hopefully. Thanks for, thanks for asking us a cool question. We don't get, um, we don't get questioned much on that. We could use yeah. a question more. Maybe it's not, but it just feels like the vaccine rollout is slow, but part of me wonders, I know it's tiered and all that, but, uh, and, and appropriately so, but to me, it feels slow, but maybe that's because um, two things. One, I'm not in a lot of the people I work with and my family and my friends are not in those groups that are that are getting those vaccinations. So I'm, I'm seeing it on social media. My parents are older, you know, they got vaccinated, but it, maybe it just feels like it hasn't trickled down to sort of my peer group. So that's one, but two, it also think the vast scale of it, you know, I'm like, gosh, really, they're still doing that category of people. And it's like, yeah, those are thousands of people. And I think I don't like, you know, just conceptually, I'm having trouble kind of wrapping my mind around that. And it, but it's feeling slow. It's feeling slow to me. You know, I think 
if you if you look globally, you know, different countries have different strategies. Um, you know, and you know, different states are are, are having different strategies. Um, I, I think that you're, you know, and again, you know, to to go back to none of us have ever had to do this. Um, no, no, no one alive has ever had to do this. Um, and I really think that there are um, a lot of, you know, things that we figured out along the way. Um, like West Virginia, for instance, is one of the best states in the country at quickly vaccinating its population. Wow. You know why? Why? Because there are only 15 people? No. <laughs> oh, I don't know. I don't go there. There are 15 yeah. people and really spread apart in like <laughs> crazy rural environments. No. Um, but it's because they, at the state level, partnered with um, the network of small pharmacies across the state. Huh. So they did this very early on. And, you know, if you think about it's not the Walgreens, it's not the CVSs, it's the, the mom and pop, you know, drug stores that are integral parts of these communities. You know, like that pharmacist knows everybody in maybe a small town by name, you know, and that's a person of authority. And so West Virginia, to their credit, you know, established this really, really smart network of professionals that have been able to um, disseminate vaccines faster than they can get them, you know, across the world. Wow, that's, that's a wonderful, so, so I guess, so let me say this then, in your field, this is going to be studied in your field for generations, right? This whole situation and what we learned and what public health as a field has learned, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, oh, absolutely. You know, it's, this is kind of the, the bittersweet part of public health is that when it's working well, it's like it's invisible, right? You know, when the work of public health is being done, right. you know, you don't see people getting sick. You don't see people dying. Um, and so, um, so unfortunately, public health has this, this long history of um, a crisis happens and you get a lot of funding and then you get further and further away from the crisis, the funding dries up um, and the infrastructure, you know, kind of crumbles again. And then the next crisis occurs and then there's this huge investment, um, you know, and, and we've experienced this for decades. Um, and I hope, it's my hope, that this coronavirus pandemic is for once and for all um, going to solidify the importance of the role of public health in society um, and so that we can maybe get some, you know, continued sustained funding, um, so that we don't ever experience something like, you know, maybe not another pandemic, but the response to this pandemic, we won't ever experience, um, ah. you know, the lackluster response that we've, we've experienced. Okay. Time. So a pandemic could happen, but the response could look, would look differently. That's... Yeah. Oh, and, and, and it will. <laughs> that's, that's the other thing is, wow. you know, this, this is, you know, a, a really stark reminder that, um, you know, yeah, we might be the, the critically thinkingest, you know, complex <laughs> creatures on earth, but 
you know, viruses um, have the ability to um, evolve and adapt and circumvent, you know, even our best protections. And um, so there's a there's a great um, you know series on BBC right now that's yeah. oh gosh um, I'm gonna I'm gonna but it, paraphrase but it's like predicting the next one or yeah. getting ready for the next one. And um, so is it going to be mosquito born? Is it going to be another virus? Is it oh, going to be bacterial? No. You know, so, so again, you know, just, but it's, it's good to be thinking um, about these contingencies. And, and again, just like you said, like unpacking um, what we've experienced and lessons learned um, to kind of grow, um, you know, from those. Wow. Well, David, I, can't wait till we have you back in six months. Maybe you'll come back and you'll talk to us again about where life, I don't know if you'd be willing to, but it's so, it is just so wonderful to get to talk to you. Uh, I mean, I like talking to Brian a lot, but you it's know, too, talking to <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, it's a pleasure. Um, you know, and, and I think I, I kind of reminded you know myself of this um, because one of the things we mentioned last time we we all spoke together was you know I made a compelling argument about how everything circled back to influence public health mm. right That's and crazy. you know now uh, almost a year later we've lived through this pandemic and um, I, I think we can all appreciate in a very profound way. Um, all the things that influence, um, you know, and contribute to a population being being healthy. You're right. Public health is is touches every part of our life. You're absolutely right. Our life is different than it was a year ago in countless ways, and it all goes back to public health. So you're right, David. You got it. You are. In honor this week of um, Death Punk uh, breaking up, right? Um, you know that might have been a heartbreaker for any of you guys as well. Um, not so much, but I mean, nonetheless. I mean, I just listen to a lot of that music. Um, I've seen a lot of these uh, helmets um, with, um, you know, sort of the uh, <laughs> the filters. I can see. You know what I'm talking about. So um, I saw I saw a Kickstarter for one called the the Blanc. It just uh, has a stripe across it, I guess, for, I guess that's where you look and everything else is just white. I don't know. I mean, as much as I just love the idea of wearing one of those around with impunity and just letting everybody deal with me, I wonder, do you think, do you think that's where we're headed? I mean, are we going to be, are, are, are we going to maybe, would that be advisable for public health that maybe I wear, I should go ahead because who knows when the next pandemic's coming, I should go ahead and get a, some headgear with a rebreather and six filters and, you know, I mean, what do you think? No, I, I would, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a great visual, us all just running around in spacesuit helmets, but. Um, I like my hair coming out of it. <laughs> but they're coming out. I probably reduce its efficacy, but who knows? Uh, but all right. So one of the things uh, I do hope, you know, even if it's not, you know, um, industrial space age helmets, um, it's it's a greater use of masks. Um, and uh, just a, 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 a what's that? 
not a lesser use of masks. No, no, but a, a greater social acceptance. Yes. You know, of continued use of masks. Yes. You know, other cultures and in other countries, uh, you know, mask and mask wearing in public has been, you know, a, a thing for you know, like better part of a generation. You you yeah. do it to protect others around you. Um, I think we would do really well if we can um, eventually work to, uh, you know, kind of change some culture. Um, I, I love that. better experience around there. I love that. One more quick question about masks, Mike, since you brought it up, my mask question. I have been double masking uh, for about two or three weeks since I heard the CDC say that's recommended um, at the gym. Yes, I do go to the gym. I'm very mindful. I'm double masking. I'm also really mindful of the size of the people in the room and all of that, grocery store, et cetera. Um, so, David, are, should we all be double masking? Um, you, you definitely should um, continue to check CDC guidelines. Um, there, there is guidance that you should be double masking. Um, if you have access to an N95 mask, wearing a cloth mask over that will yeah. extend its life. Okay. Um, and, you know, kind of the, the idea is, you know, assuming those masks, you know, work together and, and right. don't um, kind of sabotage one another because you, you need to be careful about the masks you're, you're doubling up. Um, you know, more barriers are good. Um, more barriers just mean that um, if there are um, virus, you know, you know, in particulates around you, um, they're going to have to travel through additional barriers to to ultimately infect you. Okay, so what's the criterion for us if we're double masking? You said they're not sabotaging each other. Yeah, so um, you can you can get like a like an N95 or a close fitting mask um, yeah. to, to fit over your face. Um, the the sabotaging comes in where you you know might use two loose fitting, you know, masks, like, oh. a, like the gaiters or something like that, where they kind of slip down, they uh, might create gaps. Um, okay. Those are the types of things that you really want to avoid. Okay. That's really helpful. Thank you. I've been wearing a disposable mask as one layer and then a cloth mask as my second layer. That's been my go-to. That's great. Yeah, so, absolutely. Okay. Okay. Hey. Before we go, can you help us with another public health issue just really quickly? Yeah, sure. So, like, I mean, all this business about doubling up masks, it makes me think, should there be, you know, in other areas of life, should we double up on protection? Like, should, you know, do you advise two condoms? Should we have, um, you know, a body condom and a <laughs> genital condom? Like, I don't know. <laughs> just for example, I'm wondering, is this because double? No, no. Uh, you know, in. I, I spent two years working in HIV and STI prevention, and you should never, ever, ever wear two condoms at the same time. Um, no, it's, I mean, it's, if it's 99%, then it goes down to nothing, right, if you get two of them? Well, it's it's the friction, right, that, that occurs between those two barriers and creates a, a much higher failure rate. Um, okay, okay. Yeah. Well, well that's, that, I've been wondering about how far this analogy should reach. <laughs> uh -huh. You know, maybe, you know, space helmets or body condoms, Brian. We we might head there one of these days. More more will be revealed. Well, Brian, Brian has your cell phone number, so he can call you with other urgent matters. Um, we need to work so these things out. Thank you, Dave. David, <laughs> you have been so wonderful to talk to. Thank you for all the hard work that you have done this past year. 
just a layer on top of your regular hard work that you, but the layer of another layer of being a, a public health professional during a pandemic and helping us all stay safe and healthy and learn important lessons. So thank you. Yeah, of course. Uh, it's, uh, it's my honor and responsibility. Well, and it's also really great from my point of view that those two layers didn't somehow cause one another to fail. I mean, good on you. Oh my gosh. <laughs> okay. Next time you have a question about public health, make it about public urination, Brian. Okay. I'll, I'll start thinking about it now. As a matter of fact, I think you'll, we will definitely have a gang of those. And if you want to hear those sometime, I hope that you'll join back in with us. We do want to thank David Johnson again for making time with us today. So we didn't actually get to um, talk about the, the research I, I did last fall. We actually looked to see... Um, what the role of having a uh, Council on Education and Public Health, that's the accrediting body for schools and programs of public health, what was the influence of having a school or program of public health in an institution of higher learning that may or may not have influenced the decisions that they made for fall of 2020 oh. in, terms of, in terms of the modalities. That's interesting. That you mean on a campus? On a campus. And, and wow, what was it? And so what we found um, by using information uh, from that was collected by Davidson College, it was um, an industry-wide. So this was really wow. a synthesis of um, four-year institutions. And they... Um, noted um, what was the modality that they were choosing, everything from fully in-person, no protocols, to fully online, no students yeah. on campus. And what we found actually was that um, institutions with schools and programs of CIF accredited schools and programs of public health um, tended to shy away from those um, least restrictive modalities, the ones that were most risky. Yeah. But the thing we found that was really cool was by having a, a CIF school or program of public health, it did not push those institutions to the most restrictive modalities either. Um, so those colleges and universities tended to be in kind of the hybrid or the uh, primarily online um, kind of middle categories. So almost like, again, from a critical thinking point of view, they were in making informed decision making versus just one extreme or the other. Maybe You know what I mean? They were sort of trying to have an informed... Yes, that's exactly right. Find some cool experts like David Johnson out there and do your best thinking because... Public health tools and critical thinking tools really are for everyone. Even you.